Hi, I'm Rachna. I'm Natalie. And I'm Christy. And welcome to the Triage Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Triage. Today's episode is going to be an introduction to our newest miniseries, and it's all about different career paths within healthcare. There are so many different ways to get involved. I'm sure that you've had your eyes open this year with COVID-19 and seeing all of the different uh, sectors, all of the different positions, all of the different um, interests that can align with healthcare and making sure that our population is as healthy as possible. And that's also part of why we started this podcast, because the three of us have very different interests, but they all align in the healthcare system and within this ecosystem as a whole. And that's something that we wanted to explore with this podcast and um, help educate you on in helping you pursue a career within healthcare. Yeah, it's actually crazy. We met in student government, which is something that's totally unrelated to healthcare. But um, (laughs) we just kind of bonded over our passion for it. We all just went on a a trip together to for a conference at a different college and kind of we didn't know each other that well. So it was a little awkward at first, but then we realized we had very similar interests and we got along really well from there. And, you know, there's just so many different outlets to pursue, as Christy was saying, and these are just our individual stories. So I guess I'll just start off. Um, Well, yeah, this is Rachna, as you guys know. And I guess I chose the most traditional path in healthcare, which is being a doctor or becoming a doctor. So I graduated in Rutgers in 2017 with a major in biology and a minor in economics. And I took a gap year after that. I just needed a little time and I worked for a pharma company. And now I'm currently in medical school. I'm in my third year, which is a year when I do my clinical rotations. So I'm basically working at a hospital right now, working in different fields like internal medicine, pediatrics, psychiatry, and I'm kind of just figuring out what I really want to pursue as a specialty. So it's been really fun and really stressful all at the same time, but I've been really enjoying it. Yeah, thank you so much for the introduction, Chna. Seeing your journey has been so incredible. Um, I remember when you took the MCAT, so now you're here, so it's such an exciting thing <laughs> to see. And you mentioned really briefly that you minored in economics. So for our listeners, that might sound um, interesting because it's not it's not a science. It's not necessarily a science. So why did you decide to minor in economics? Yeah, so... It does seem kind of random, and at the same time, it is kind of random because I just took a class in it, to be honest, to fulfill a requirement, and I ended up really liking it. I think it's just one of those subjects that can apply to anything, and, you know, we always talk about, like, in high school and grade school, how there's certain things, real-life things that we never get to learn about, and something that I really wanted to learn about was what stocks were and how that kind of worked. So taking that class really taught me about the business side, which I think as healthcare professionals, we don't really get to learn about, even though we should probably learn more about it because it affects healthcare so much. So that's kind of why I decided to do that as a minor. 
And so that was your minor, but um, what really drew you into medicine? Um, like, did it go back to the beginning of when you ever thought about what your career would be as a little kid, or did you find medicine later in life? Like, tell us about how you really found your way in figuring out that you wanted to be a physician. So when I was a little girl, there was two things that I wanted to be. One was an artist, and the other thing was a doctor. And unfortunately, the whole artist thing didn't work out. My stick figures didn't make the cut, apparently. So um, with medicine, I kind of had that passion for it back then. But, you know, I was a little kid, so it wasn't really something that was tangible at that time. But in high school, I volunteered as a patient transporter. So basically, I was working at the hospital and I was bringing patients um, to be discharged to the front lobby so that they can go home to their loved ones. And I kind of did it to, again, fulfill a requirement for high school. I needed like 100 hours or something like that. And I ended up loving it. i love to talk to patients when they're being discharged. They're always so happy to be able to go home. And I remember one particular patient um, had been in the hospital for six months or something really crazy like that. And he didn't even know that he would be able to go home. And the day he was able to go home and I was bringing him out, he just kind of smiled once he was outside. And he was like, I haven't been outside in so long. And seeing that kind of really inspired me. I thought it would be amazing to be part of that patient journey from bringing them from one of the worst days of their life to being able to go home. So that's kind of why I was inspired to enter medicine. And um, in terms of being a doctor, sorry, I forgot to mention that part. Since there are so many different careers that are in healthcare. Um, and they're all such important factors to bringing that patient home. It was There was a lot of options for me to choose out of, but I kind of decided to do the doctor route because they are kind of the leader in the healthcare. They are the ultimate dis- uh, individual who is making the decisions and helping patients get to their healthcare goals. And, you know, when I was little, I used to be a very kind of passive and quiet individual. So being a leader was not something that I ever thought that I would be able to do. But as I've grown, I've realized that I could kind of fit this role and kind of being a doctor was the ultimate goal for me to being able to reach my full potential, reach my full confidence. So that's why I kind of chose that profession in particular. That's incredible. I really am so moved by that story when you were talking about your patient, uh, the patient that you were helping get discharged. And I can't wait for you to do that full time. And you yes, mentioned I'm so also, excited. Oh, so, oh, so amazing. You also mentioned how you took a gap year between under starting um, your doctorate and finishing up your undergrad. Why did you do that? And would you recommend that to potential listeners who are interested in medical school themselves? Yeah, so I would definitely recommend doing that. I think that was one of the best decisions that I made for myself. You know, from going to school since I was five to when did we graduate college when we were like 21 or something like that, 
it's tiring. It really is being an undergrad and studying all the time, st- doing those overnight uh, cram sessions and everything. It was just very exhausting for me. And I kind of decided that I needed some time to myself to get a break, to kind of learn how to quote unquote adult, you know? So I kind of learned how to cook. I learned how to um, do the gym properly, like work out properly and I got to travel and I got to do all these things. And I think that really helped kind of mold me into the individual that I am today. So I was really happy that I got to take that time to kind of grow myself. And then I felt that I was really ready for medical school when I did enter it in the end. And um, I wanted to just place emphasis on the traveling part because that was something that I always wanted to do, but I never really had the time or the money to do it. So being able to work full time and just kind of be able to embrace getting to see different parts of the country was really amazing to do. I remember um, seeing your pictures and hearing about your travels during your first year post-grad when both Natalie and I were still in college. And (laughs) I don't know about you, Natalie, but when I saw that, I was like, honestly, maybe graduating college isn't going to be as bad as it seems. Like, I remember I was so nervous about it, but seeing you traveling and having fun um, and having that work-life balance made me excited. And it's definitely something that I tried to do with my first year post-grad and tried to continue in the second year. But then obviously with COVID, a lot of us haven't been able to travel. Um, But while I'm stuck at home and most people are stuck at home working, if they're lucky, um, you've been in medical school and have also been a healthcare worker during the COVID pandemic. You've had to go in for your clinical rotations, um, all suited up and ready to take care of patients. So what has that been like? Um, And, you know, based on your previous experience in working in doctor's offices like how how different is it now that um there's a pandemic in place it's honestly very humbling I mean there's been so many friends and family members who have been impacted by COVID and it's just crazy to see how that all plays out in the hospital as a student you know we don't have to always go to the patient rooms that have um, the COVID patients. So we've been separated, thankfully, but, you know, seeing the doctors and the nurses and talking to them about what their experiences were like, especially during the worst parts of the pandemic, has just been absolutely crazy to hear. And, you know, we're always on edge. You know, any time a patient comes to the emergency room, you don't know where they came from or what they may have. So we always have to wear our N95 masks and we always have to make sure we're sanitizing our hands and just being really, really careful because we we don't want to bring that home to our families. And I think it really just shows how important public health campaigns are for treating our patients because you know, sometimes doctors can be very isolated in what they're doing. They just go to the office and they treat their patients during the day and then they go home. But especially with COVID, you can see how different campaigns have kind of distorted the public view of, for example, masks and other things. And you realize how important these public health campaigns are in determining how healthy your patients are when they come to the hospital or what bad shapes um 
they are in when they come in. And honestly, I've just been very lucky that I haven't been a full-time worker because I haven't, or not a full-time worker, but I haven't been um, like a a full-on doctor or a full-on nurse because I haven't gotten the full impact as a student. We still have those protections in place where we don't have to go into the rooms like I talked about before. So it's just very crazy around the hospital to see everyone so on edge and so scared. And, you know, um, one thing I've been kind of grateful for over the past few months is I've been able to actually go into work because for the first few months of the pandemic, I was still in my preclinical. So I was still taking classes and taking exams. So I didn't really have to go into the hospital. But now that I've been getting into work, it's been really good for me because I was feeling very stuck being at home home all the time. And I know for you, Christy, you work a full-time job, but it's been mostly remote. How has that been for you? And can you just talk a little bit more about what you do? Yeah. Um, So yes, I've been pretty much solely working from home in this current job that I have. um, I'm almost three years. Oh no, I'm I'm two and a half years. I'm two and a half years out of school. um, And I did previously work at another job at another company and I transitioned over to where I am now in late February. So I was in person for three weeks, which I'm very thankful for. I was able to meet some people and then quickly packed up my things and have been home ever since. Um, But again, I feel very lucky that I'm able to work from home, that I still have a job um, nearly nine, 10 months into this pandemic. It's not something that everyone has the privilege of saying. And so I, I definitely feel really lucky. But yeah, I am working in healthcare. I am in the private sector right now. And I work at a specialty care company, um, specifically working in value-based care. And I work with both providers and health plans um, to improve care for patients and lower costs, which is something I really wanted insight into. Uh, I majored in health administration and I minored in digital communication and media. So I really loved healthcare and learning about the healthcare system, learning about healthcare policy, healthcare economics, you name it. But I also really like being able to be creative and create campaigns, um, use business strategy, and um, and create new products and and all of that stuff in the market. And so I've been able to marry those two passions into a career so far, and I feel very lucky that I not only have a job now, but I have a job I really enjoy. Um, and I actually, like I said, my firm is specializing in um, value by, value-based care solutions, specifically with cardiology and oncology. And the reason why we specialize in that is because those two diseases are extremely high cost to patients. And they also are part of the, um, they're just very common diseases like heart disease and cancer are the number one and two cause of death in adults in the United States. Um, and in these places, cardiologists and oncologists are mostly under a fee-for-service model, which means that they're incentivized to provide services, and that's how they get paid, and so that drives up costs, and it doesn't always result in better care. So what value-based care is, it's a reimbursement concept introduced by the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, 
And so that moves our payment models away from fee-for-service to value-based incentives. And so that rewards physicians for picking the lowest cost and the highest quality option, and when possible, not over-utilizing tests or treatment for patients. Because um, since our healthcare system is so intertwined with the pharmaceutical industry, especially in the United States, especially in the Northeast where we're all from, with a bunch of pharma companies in New Jersey and Boston, and now North Carolina is a big hub too. Um, They have a lot of power over providers, especially when it comes to oncology drugs. Oncology drugs are so expensive, and pharmaceutical companies make a lot of money off of cancer, right? And providers are actually incentivized and work with pharmaceutical companies to prescribe more drugs or to give more treatments. And so I'm very happy to be part of a movement that is moving uh, providers away from that because it not it doesn't always result in a better patient outcome to be going through a bunch of chemo or to be going through a bunch of procedures when they probably could either not be going under these procedures or have a better dosage where they're able to actually live a better life. And that was a lot of, those were a lot of concepts that I was taught in the classroom about healthcare being more than just not having a disease, but even if you do have a disease or do have comorbidities or chronic conditions, that you're able to live a fulfilling life with that. And to be working in health administration 10 years post the Affordable Care Act has just been really interesting because I've been able to see a lot of those dreams and concepts that were just theoretical at that time 10 years ago to now being in practice and seeing that they're actually working. Um, And so I've just been very grateful. And like I said, with working in oncology and cardiology, these are also diseases that are highly affected by the COVID pandemic. Um, Cancer screenings are down, I think, by over 80% now. Um, It was 80% back in April. So we don't I don't really know how much things have bounced back, but COVID is also showing to have long-term effects on the heart too, and even in young people. So these problems that were already here in the United States before, um, I can't imagine what they're going to look like in a year and or two, three years post-COVID. So scary stuff, but I think we're slowly going to get to a place in healthcare where we're able to to treat patients in that space better. I think having someone with your passion and empathy in this field, like particularly like in the like in the um, working in the in the inner workings of healthcare, is so incredibly important. And do you feel like that? You mentioned that you know you have this foundation from Rutgers, um, from your from your um, education experience in the classroom. Do you feel like? particularly the health administration program really helped you become in tune to these issues? Um, Do you feel like it was experience, maybe a mix of the two? How did you really get that strong foundation? Oh, yeah, Uh, that's a great question. Um, So to even find the healthcare administration major was tough. It was very new when I started at Rutgers. And so kind of like both of you, well, I know, um, Rachana, that you always wanted to be a physician, but had the path to get there. Um, you took a few different ways, like adding economics. Um, and Natalie, you and I have 
you know, slowly and surely found our way into what we want to do in healthcare. But I came in and I was in the School of Environmental and Biological Sciences, majoring in biology. So I took general bio, like I was all set for that. But then I had to take an econ class my first semester. Um, and then I really liked econ. So then I switched over to econ. <laughs> and then um, our friend, our dear, dear friend, Ty Jackson, also our friend from student government, was talking about how he was in this health administration major. And I, before that, couldn't put into words what I wanted to do with my life. I knew I liked econ. I knew I liked bio and anatomy and physiology. And I loved healthcare, but I didn't know how to even figure out what a career in that was. And so meeting someone who was in health administration and loved the program, I switched my major immediately and dove right in. And like I said, um, working in healthcare specifically and like the administration policy space post the Affordable Care Act has been really interesting because we 10 years into a, a new overhaul of a policy is a huge feat. And so every class we had talked about the Affordable Care Act. In our health systems class, we talked about how that piece of legislation affect the system as a whole. In economics, we talked about how it would affect supply and demand in healthcare. Um, in finance, we talked about it. Um, and of course, in other concepts as well. And we even took a, we had healthcare marketing. So really got a full scope of what healthcare looked like. And especially, like I said, being in New Jersey and not only in New Jersey, but New Brunswick, where there were two major hospitals there. There was a bunch of healthcare research in that space. We were around so many nonprofits um, and even student government, not healthcare related, but you know, all of us worked on a lot of mental health projects, I realized not only through my major, but through the different clubs and stuff that I did and internships that healthcare is intertwined with everything. And so the classes set me up really well, but also any experience I had outside did as well. And now that we see with COVID, healthcare is the root of everything. And if healthcare isn't good, and if people are sick and dying, then the economy collapses, people lose jobs, people can't eat, and everything honestly goes to crap. So um, to put it simply, but um, definitely learned those concepts early on. And I'm, I'm very thankful for that. That's really amazing to hear how you really found your passion for healthcare administration. But I know that one of the key things that has helped you become successful has been LinkedIn. You are basically the queen of LinkedIn. Like all your posts get so many likes and I know you found a lot of opportunities through it. Can you kind of expand on how you have made LinkedIn a resource that has been so instrumental in your career? Yeah, so I'm sure like many of you out there, when I was in college, I was so afraid of LinkedIn. Um, it was this new concept. And when I made my LinkedIn page, I had no experience in anything. And so I didn't even want to make it. I didn't want to add anyone on it. And I was just deeply, deeply afraid of this piece of social media. Um, and then over the years in getting older in college and then getting more experience, not only just in internships, but in classes and doing projects and clubs, I started to realize that so much contributes to your experience as a student and as a professional. Um, we're told that, you know, getting the top internship matters, getting that top research opportunity matters, being the president of a club matters. 
But in your classes, you're doing little research projects. You're putting together case studies. You're working in teams and, and creating consulting projects for your classes. And those are things that you can post on LinkedIn. And so I started to do that. Every little thing that I did for a club or for a class, I put on LinkedIn. And I'm sure people looked at my LinkedIn and were like, oh, this person does so much. And I didn't, but it just looked like I did because I was advocating for myself through not only what I was doing outside of class, but also in the classroom. And so I suggest everyone does that. That's always what I tell someone is anytime you work on a project, both big or small, post it on LinkedIn as a link under your different experiences. Show off. We are told to be modest, and while I agree with that, I definitely don't like bragging. Um, (laughs) I don't think that's right. I think when it comes to your professional career and being proud of things you work on, LinkedIn is a place to do that. Um, Especially women don't feel comfortable in networking and bragging about the things that they do well, and men do that all the time, and they feel completely comfortable doing that. So why shouldn't we? And so I kind of use that mantra use that um, to my advantage and just started to do that. Um, And so it's kind of like an online portfolio. And so if you're someone who likes to talk, doesn't like to write papers, post a video, post uh, a podcast that you're in. If you do like to write, write some blog posts on LinkedIn, share it. You'll be surprised. So many physicians are on LinkedIn, so many healthcare policy people, health administrators, CEOs of hospitals, researchers, they are all on LinkedIn and on social media, even Twitter, sharing their expertise because that's where people get news. So get on it quickly. And it's just an easy way to interact with your industry and make it smaller. Healthcare is a small industry and being on LinkedIn and joining groups and um, being part of groups that um, interest you can help you meet new people. Um, So yeah, I love LinkedIn um, and it's a great place to build a brand, but I really, really suggest, especially women out there, you know, hype yourself up on there and hype up your friends because men have been doing it for years and years now and now it's our time to do that. Absolutely. And I know that you've helped me so much with my LinkedIn and I know one of the best tips that you gave me was when I was interested in a job you told me to reach out to somebody who currently holds that title or like is in that office within that specific company that I was interested in. And I reached out to them and they answered and they were lovely. The job didn't end up panning out just because I'm still a student, but I actually got to have a phone call with them, which was incredible. And I learned exactly about what they did. And now I'm interested to pursue that after I um, finish up my master's and stuff. So just literally reaching out to them on LinkedIn with this template that Christy created. And it's something that we could post in the future if you guys are interested in that. Yeah. Um, With this template that Christy created, got me an answer in 24 hours. And I was able to have a phone call set up with them by the end of the week. And it was such an incredible, it was such a growing experience for me. And I, even though like I didn't end up at that job, like I'm saying, like it's, I still got so much out of it. Um, And I made a new connection as well. Like we're connected on LinkedIn now. So absolutely um, recommend just taking some time and researching how LinkedIn could be used for you because it's meant to, like Christy's saying, advocate for yourself. 
And you're talking about the industry with LinkedIn. And how did you decide specifically to work in the private industry? Yeah. um, And I'll definitely stop rambling. I feel like I'm rambling a lot. um, So I'm going to keep this short. But in college, I worked at nonprofits. I did research. um, I worked at a hospital system on the communication side. And I just realized that these spaces are greatly impacted by the private industry, but I had no insight into exactly how or exactly how much power the private industry had on healthcare. And so I wanted to understand how the system works um, and how it all comes together. And one of the biggest issues with healthcare right now, and as we've seen with this pandemic, is that there are just so many players in the game. It's not just a hospital, a health plan, and a patient. It's so many other things that are intertwined in there, but no one knows how to make these all work together effectively and actually improve patient care. Uh, There are pharma companies, health plans, EHR vendors, um, (laughs) medical device firms, like there's just so much and I just want to understand that. So that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, And also... Right now, under a capitalist society, innovation happens in the private sector, um, and I don't necessarily believe in that, and I don't see myself working in the private industry for my whole career, but um, it's definitely been good to just see what the ecosystem looks like from this point of view and understand how people tick in this realm to then advocate for policies and transition over into the public sector um, and be able to speak the language and um, serve as a bridge between the two um, the two sectors within healthcare. So hopefully that makes sense. But yeah, that's what brought me to the private industry in healthcare. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, like I was saying before, I worked for a pharma company before I went to medical school. And honestly, those are very, two different, very, uh, very different things. So it was interesting to see that type of side of healthcare, but honestly, all of these things play a role in patient um, patient care. So it's important to kind of understand those key players in it. And Christy, I mean, we talked a lot about your work and what you do, but you're also very passionate about healthcare policy. How do you kind of balance your career and your advocacy? Honestly, it's just passion. And I've always had that, but COVID-19 really picked this up. Um, because it's easy to feel helpless during this. And we've all talked about this. Like, you know, we all work in healthcare, like we're talking about today, but we're not decision makers yet. Um, and so it it does start to feel a little helpless and hopeless when we're sitting here and not exactly contributing yet. So I found ways to contribute, like volunteering for the crisis text line, doing this podcast with you guys. Like we are helping in us in some way just to help people understand healthcare and have it be coming from people who are coming to them as friends rather than a news outlet screaming at them or an Instagram post screaming at them. And so, yeah. And honestly, I just did so much in college that I'm able to kind of keep that up now and be able to participate in passions outside of work. And and I just um, suggest everyone out there have things you do out of work, after work. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be every day or every week, but Having passions, whether it's even just reading up on things or doing a sport or doing a workout class, like having things that 
drive you outside of work, really help you balance everything. And it actually helps you be a better employee or a better student, better friend when you aren't putting all of your effort into one thing that ends up stressing you out. So yeah, but um, speaking of all of this balance and work and balancing advocacy with school, Natalie, you are currently balancing a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are you doing right now? Um, and how are you doing it? Because you're a student, you're an intern, you're an administrative assistant, you are a TA, yeah. you're doing all of this <laughs> stuff, and you're it's all from home. So tell us about that and kind of how everything's going. It's it's going well now that the end is near of the semester. Um, maybe a month ago, I wouldn't have been saying the same thing. This is definitely the busiest semester of my life. And in undergrad, I joined a sorority, uh, really got involved in student government, and took 18 credits like all um, at the same time at one point. And this is still the busiest semester of my life. So I am a master's of public health student at Rutgers. I decided to stay and I'll expand um, a little bit more into exactly the type of program that I'm doing. And I am an intern at an anti-hunger uh, nonprofit organization. I work at Douglas Residential College, um, which I'm an alumna of, and I love them very dearly. And I also became a TA just for this semester in global public health, the introduction to global public health course. So it's been very challenging to balance everything I would say like to be completely transparent it's definitely been very very difficult but I like that um I'm still like working on my mind like while I'm at home because we talk a lot about in our mental health episode with COVID um and the intersection of mental health during COVID this co this time of COVID-19 just keeping my mind active is something that's really good for my mental health so it's not something that you know, is um, terribly frustrating to me being this being this busy. It's something I'm honestly very thankful for. And my number one thing that I use is a planner. I actually have two planners. Christy and Rachna know this. I show them on FaceTime all the time because I am a planner fanatic. I'm obsessed with it. I have washi tape and colorful pens and every class has a different color. And it's honestly, that's like another outlet of self-care for me is just like staying organized and kind of just like decorating my planner. But it really, writing every single little thing down really helps me stay on top of things and learning how to prioritize as well. Um, different assignments, different uh, meetings that I have, whether it's with work or with for my teaching assistant position. Uh, it's definitely just really crucial for me to have a planner. I use the Passion Planner. If any of y'all out there use that, you know that it, it rocks. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Um, it's crazy, but I wouldn't have it any other way because when will I ever get to be involved in Douglas Residential College as heavily ever again? Because I am in the public health field, so I'm not going into um, you know uh, academia right now. So like, when will I ever get that experience again? Like, it's definitely something I'm super thankful for. Um, the same with teaching. I honestly did consider teaching in high school, and I think. It's amazing, and I think teachers are superheroes. It's just not for me, but I love that I get to have this experience right now. It's something that's really special. I still don't understand how you manage all these things, Natalie. I mean, we hear you talking about it all the time, and honestly, I feel like you're busier than me right now, 
and I'm in medical school. So people think that that's like the busiest that you can be. But Natalie is out here working like three jobs and being a full time <laughs> student. Like, I it don't pays know how the you bills. do it. <laughs> it pays the bills. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so let's backtrack a little bit. Um, we know that you're in the master's program at Rutgers now doing public health, but what made you passionate about it in the first place? Absolutely. So I actually graduated from Rutgers in 2019 with my bachelor's in women's and gender studies, which I wouldn't trade for a second. I am so obsessed with that field. And it was, it honestly has contributed so much to me as a public health professional. But how I learned about public health was that I was working on the um, sexual assault prevention committee in our student government um, at Rutgers that Christy and Rachel and I were a part of. Um, and I was on the first ever SAP committee. That was the abbreviation at the time. It has now evolved to the uh, sexual violence prevention and education committee. Um, but this was the first, this was the first um, version of that. And it was my first year of college and my friend's mentor took me to lunch because he likes to be this incredibly giving person and just be everybody's mentor. And he told me that he could tell I was not passionate about biology when he asked me what my major was. And I kind of just mumbled, yeah, it's biology. And he looked at me and he was like, you don't like it. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, no, I don't. Um, and I love learning about biology, but the major was just a little bit too science intensive for me. I needed that social balance. And we got talking um, to how sexual violence is an epidemic um, and as is like gender-based violence and domestic violence, sexual violence, all different forms of interpersonal violence. Um, is this epidemic that is fueled by so many different social constructs, so many different policies. Honestly, that can be an entire episode within itself. But we got to talking about that and he told me, take a public health course, see if you like it. I could really see you excelling in this field. And now every time I see him, I told him, tell him I changed, he changed my life because I took one course and I really fell in love with it. I can't remember what the course is off the top of my head. It probably was honestly just like this introduction to public health course, but I felt it was like this perfect cross uh, between sociology and biology, like what I was looking for. And I really found um, I don't, that it also crossed paths with um, human rights and women's and gender studies, which were my other two interests. Um, in undergrad. And I felt like I really found what I loved, which is women's women's health, reproductive health, LGBTQ health. And I really felt like I found my place. And so my junior year, I applied to Rutgers' four plus one master's in public health program. And my, and the end of my, and Christy actually drove me to drop off my application. <laughs> Christy, I don't know if you remember that. We couldn't find the mailbox. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So Christy drove me. Yes, because I couldn't drive. That, I could do a whole thing about that. I never used to drive, um, but I couldn't drive. So Christy drove me after we went to Target. And it was like right when junior year was ending and Christy was graduating. So we got to spend all this time together. And she did me the life-changing honor of taking me to drop off my application. And then I got accepted that summer. And then I started up my first semester. I took um, epidemiology at the master's level and it counted as a this was great. It counted as an um, an elective credit towards my public health minor as an undergraduate. It counted as an elective, which was amazing. And I also took um, the introduction to like health policy course as well at the master's level. So I took a few classes my senior year and I decided to focus, um, make my concentration global public health. 
And yeah, I am taking currently this semester, I'm taking three classes, which on top of those jobs is definitely interesting. Um, and I'll be graduating in May. Here's hoping. <laughs> Woohoo. You got this. Thank you. You definitely do. And you definitely had a lot of experience even just before figuring out that you wanted to do public health and pursue an MPH. Um, but now you are currently interning and doing a lot of other stuff like we talked about. And getting internships in the nonprofit sphere specifically is kind of a black hole that not a lot of people know how to navigate. There are a lot of resources out there to master the corporate internships, but getting an internship at a nonprofit is hard because it's not a usual cycle like other things are. And so how have you applied for internships and and get those jobs at those nonprofits because you are the queen there. Oh, that's very kind. Um, yes, that was honestly the hardest part of all this is getting my foot in the door at um, in the nonprofit sphere. Um, and my my number one tip is just to apply, apply, apply. Just con- I would just constantly send out applications, and I put basically everything on my resume. Like it was like kind of like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what would stick with my resume because. I didn't have any formal public health experience, but I had our student government experience, which was my number one, my number one thing that I would talk about in job interviews was about how I ended up, I ended up um, leading the sexual assault prevention committee for my sophomore year of college. So that was what I talked about with leadership, event coordination, um, diving into health issues and trying to address it with certain outcomes. Like I really had this tangible experience that I was able to apply to um, honestly so many different types of positions. And idealist.org was a website I discovered probably about like a year and a half ago, maybe even maybe even just a year ago. And they specifically have nonprofits and you could separate them by issue. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And my number one thing that I've always wanted to do, um, as long as I can remember, is work in New York City. I just love New York City. I have such like a personal connection with it. So I was just looking at internships that were in New York City. And I found the internship I currently work at which I love so dearly. And it's actually my first formal experience with a nonprofit. And I got the job when I was um, 22, 22 years old. I was out of college. I was out of college, which is the point because this was last year. Oh my gosh. No, I'm wrong. This was January, 2020 that I started the job. What is this year? That's why I was like, this doesn't sound right. I was Time has been years. warped from Time COVID, is warped. Honestly. I was like, wait a second. In 2019, I was graduated from college and I was in my master's program when I got this position. Yeah, that's so funny. No, so I was 22 and I got my first experience working at a nonprofit as an intern, um, which I wouldn't trade for the world because I've learned so, so much and I absolutely love this job. Um, and yeah, you got to start from somewhere. And absolutely. So, and then the way I got this job specifically, um, because at this point, student government was a little bit in the past. It was about three or four years ago at this point. I actually just talked about my desk job, my job at Douglas Residential College, because I worked with confidential financial information. And this job is a development internship position where you, where you work really closely with donors and you work with their confidential financial information. And I was able to connect those two. And that's what got me the job. Um, Definitely being in a master's program in public health helped. Definitely having um, a background um, in a major women's and gender studies that focused so much 
on equity helped because this is about um, an anti-hunger organization that's like combating hunger from the roots of the issue. So not um, only distributing food, but like working to address um, what's causing hunger as a whole. So that definitely helped as well. But just being able to show that I had, I had the hard skills to do the job really is what cemented my, in my opinion, was what cemented me getting the position. So you never know what's good. You never know like what, you don't have to have a experience in the specific field is what I'm trying to say. You never know what's going to make you attractive to them. So that's why I literally recommend just doing jobs that you like, doing things that you enjoy. I just saw Douglas Residential College, the job that when it was posted a few, uh, now at this point, that's over a year ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love DRC. I want to go back. That was the only reason I applied. That was the only reason I applied. I was like, I love DRC. I would love to work um, in like the older buildings of Rutgers and um, be a part of a program I really love. I knew it wasn't going to be forever, but I don't regret it at all. Natalie, I just am always in awe of you and all the things that you do. And, you know, whenever I have an email or something or something that I have to write and I have to apply and send it somewhere, I always ask Natalie to read it because she's just so good at this stuff. Um, And, you know, my question is kind of how do you have the stamina to apply to so many places? Because I personally feel like I get kind of fatigued from emailing and reaching out to so many people. So how do you kind of maintain that stamina when applying for jobs and different opportunities? No, this is such an incredible question because it's so valid and I definitely experienced that fatigue myself. But I guess I'll split it up into two answers. The best thing that ever happened to me was freshman year of Rutgers. I got rejected from every single thing I applied from. I got rejected from a research program that basically had a 100% acceptance rate. Um, I won't say where within Rutgers because it was to no fault of their own. It was just they ran out of spots, essentially. Um, So I got rejected from that. I got rejected from the summer research program that I'm sure you both know which one I'm talking about. Got rejected from that. Um, The one thing I had going for me, though, student government was such an incredible help and experience to get me through um, the sadness I felt from, and I, I mean, internships I applied for, everything. So I kind of got used to rejection very early on, if that makes sense. And it kind of helped me develop this like shield of just like, let's just send out these applications and see what happens. Um, So that was the first part was just like getting used to rejection and embracing it. And I, it, it helped because then I'd go back and I'd be like, oh, like I messed up my like address on my cover letter. Like, okay, so that's why this one didn't work out. And oh, okay. Like my cover letter ended up being like, the last word of my cover letter ended up going on a second page. So now I knew to be very meticulous when I was applying and making sure everything was perfect before I was submitting applications. Like everything is a learning and growing experience. So that was the first part of the question. And for the second part with the writing, I was really lucky because my writing developed so much because of my bachelor's. Um, Women's and gender studies is such a writing intensive major, which people not may not realize off the bat, but it is based completely in theory. So I, my, my analytical skills, like really, it was just four years of writing papers, writing papers, writing papers. Um, But what I do now, and is a tip that I recommend for everybody, is I I have one general email (laughs) that I always send. Um, For instance, if I had just had an interview, um, and we could maybe post these as templates too, but if I just had an interview, or if I am sending out my cover letter somewhere and my resume somewhere, um, if I have a question, even to a professor, 
I have this general one email and I'll just copy and paste it and just and just kind of um substitute what is appropriate for this letter so like for instance like obviously fixing the person's name fixing the inquiry like doing stuff like that and then I do the same exact thing with my cover letter and I substitute the name of the organization obviously at the top um I always include their mission I don't even remember where I learned that I learned so many things over the years too that kind of just like you it's just it's always a learning process I'm still learning the right way to apply to jobs because there is no right way basically if that makes sense um and then I kind of pick what of my broad range of experience what is what connects with this organization specifically I kind of take a second and think because what is applicable to a different organization might not be the same so I could substitute it there. It's kind of like a puzzle almost, if that makes sense, or like just like substituting different things in. So I can apply to numerous jobs at once with one cover letter and one resume. And yeah, um, the last thing I'll say is like when applying to jobs, um, the earlier the better. So I always um, try to do something that was posted within the last 14 days. And that's, a, that's something that you could um, sort out on LinkedIn on Glassdoor, on Indeed, you could filter out when the job post when the job was posted because I used to apply to these jobs and I'd be like, wow, this this seems amazing. It's this organization in New York. And we posted 30 days ago and somebody would potentially have been picked already. I would never hear back from those places. But I applied to um the position I'm at now. I think I I applied to it like a few days after it was posted and I heard back um I heard back. I was able to hear back. Thank you so much for sharing all that advice that you had. And Christy, you had a lot of advice too for people who are just kind of trying to navigate and enter the healthcare spectrum in different ways that are different than the you know traditional way of being like a doctor or a nurse. So I guess that kind of concludes our episode for us today. We hope that this kind of gave you an insight into different careers that you could pursue in healthcare. And I think we are going to expand further in episodes on to different fields that we each are in. So let us know what you guys think of the episode and have a good day. Bye. Thanks for listening.